Hi, this is Dr. Nick, and I'm live at HIMSS 2019. I'm here with Healthcare Now Radio and Health Innovation Media. I'm on the Nuance booth, um, and I'm here with Brenda Hodge, Senior Vice President for Marketing. Um, we're here talking about some of the new things that are going on, but before we get into that, I wanted to get a little bit of a sense of what you're excited about for HIMSS. Yeah, good morning, Dr. Nick. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me. And HIMSS is always exciting just because there are so many people here from healthcare. We get an opportunity to speak with a wealth of attendees about their latest challenges, what's on their minds, and show them some of the latest innovation, get some reactions. So it's it's always just a great dialogue. So uh, it's the first day, but you've obviously been setting up. There's a lot of work that goes into this. Um, what are you excited for, um, and what themes do you think are going to come out uh, of this show for Nuance and for the visitors? What, what's what's happening in, in your world? Yeah, well, obviously HIMSS is primarily an IT audience, and for the IT audience, I think there are really three big themes on their minds. So the first theme is physician burnout, and that is on the minds of every C-suite hospital executive, health system executive. Yes, it is. Because it is a true epidemic in the United States, right? Over half of physicians show signs of burnout. They're leaving the practice in much bigger numbers. They're retiring earlier. Um, and also when physicians are burned out, there's studies to show that there's a higher incidence of medical errors. So it has impacts on patient safety and quality. So, um, And physicians are just overwhelmed by the administrative burden that's placed on them. And they want to get back to that joy in medicine why they went to medical school, they want to treat the patient. What, you mean they didn't go to medical school to write down notes and learn how to code? Are you kidding me? I know, it gives you such empathy for them, right? No, really one, does. no wonder their burnout is 15 times higher than any other profession. Um, so, so burnout is a big theme that is on everyone's minds that I know will be part of, of the discussion. Now, the flip side of that coin is the second theme, which is every CIO is wanting to improve the patient experience. And they may be looking at that from a lot of different angles, but part of that is how do you fix that physician-patient encounter that is somewhat broken today because the technology is the obstacle between them, if you will, right? right? it is. Um, you know, no patient wants to look at the back of the doctor's head while they're talking. They want eye contact. They want time to ask their questions. They don't want to feel rushed. And doctors spend, it's, it's so sad, but for every hour with a patient, they have to spend two hours documenting on that patient, which is so out of balance for them of where it should be. So certainly the patient experience and how we rehumanize that to get back to that joy of medicine is gonna be, again, I think a big theme we're gonna hear. And then the third one, which I think is just interesting, which is, which is much more kind of a technology play, is now that 90% of health systems are digitized, right? They all spent these huge amounts of money, big bang, on EHR, meaningful use, implementation. They're now kind of swinging the pendulum the other way to say, no more big bang IT investment. Show me incremental, low investment, high return, quick hit technologies, because I now need to optimize what I've got. 
Now, you, you know you hit my favorite word, incremental, because it is. It's that building on each of those small steps to get us to that exponential change that we need. But we're not going to get it with big steps. So it's really interesting that you pick that. And as for the burnout, personally attest to that from 30 years ago. And I think the most troubling thing to me is the fact that 30 years later, we're still talking about it. Actually, we didn't talk about it in those days. It was just sort of put to one side. So tell me a little bit about what it is that you're doing that you think is going to help resolve some of that. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. We're very excited about some of the new innovation that we're showing. And to your point, some of it's incremental. And then we are also showing an innovation that we believe is gonna actually be very disruptive in a, in a positive way. But for some of the incremental innovation, um, we have been in the speech capture business for a long time. Um, so we have literally 500,000 users of our speech capture solutions uh, across the globe in use today. And they use those to get information into the EHR to actually capture a more complete patient narrative. But what's interesting is we've spent so much time getting information in the EHR, the good news is we have all the data. The bad news is we have all that data. So now the burden is I've got to find some information, right? right? Have, you, have you had um, uh, you know, your appendix removed? What was your last chest x-ray? Information retrieval now becomes difficult because there's so much information, it takes time to find it. So our first step with innovation is through virtual assistance, giving them that information retrieval capability so that they can literally use their voice to say, show me the last chest x-ray, show me the last set of labs, show me the growth chart for a toddler. Um, and so that's going to be time savings back in the day, so that's important. So we announced, we've had a relationship with Epic, for mm -hmm. virtual assistant, for quite some time. We announced an expansion of virtual assistant now embedded in Meditech. And then last week we announced that into our speech capture cloud solution, which is Dragon Medical One, that all 300,000 users of that solution will get virtual assistant capabilities turned on this year. We will flip a switch and they will all have access to be able to say, show me the last chest x-ray, show me and do that information retrieval. So we're, we're very excited about those incremental improvements to continually give them back time. Um, the other big innovation, and I'm curious to get your take on this, Dr. Nick, is what we call, it's a new category of healthcare information technology we call ambient clinical intelligence. And ambient meaning we are literally surrounding the physician with intelligence to alleviate that administrative burden. Um, and so we have an experience room here in our booth that people can go through and actually see real technology. We're using deep AI techniques, neural networks, um, and other AI algorithms to bring the clinical conversation to the forefront and literally the documentation writes itself. Like you have to see it to believe it kind of thing. But you saw it, did you not this morning? I did. Yeah? I was lucky enough to uh, experience the experience room. <laughs> um, and you know, what's really striking is it's that passive acquisition of data that takes place in the background with some very clever use of technology and insights that we've gathered 
about how to both capture the information as well as pass it in a way that's useful for multiple purposes and deliver that in a way that doesn't interfere with the face-to-face exchange. And and one of the things that we learned in medicine very clearly a long time back was patients didn't come in to see us looking at technology. They came in for the face-to-face discussion. Absolutely. And that was what was really striking about this was there was much more intensity in that relationship because I wasn't, or the the physician was not distracted, and, and the patient wasn't distracted. Um, so it was the combination of those assets together that really sort of struck me as we're now at this point, instead of replicating what we used to do on paper, we're taking a completely different take and, and allowing the physicians the time and the focus and taking what we used to call in, in healthcare scut work, which was, you know, dross, you know, misery essentially, but it was necessary and essentially delivering that in a way that says it's done so those two hours you just got back and by the way those two hours where do they take place at home at 11 o'clock after the kids went to bed for a lot of people right well they call it pajama time it even has a name they do so much work at home it has a name right so sad yeah so a little bit of detail about um your experiences uh getting to that point and, and some of the feedback tell me about that journey i mean uh, you know did you suddenly arrive at it how, how did you get here oh i appreciate the question because it has been a long journey right so you, you don't develop that overnight that has been years worth of development and we're also leveraging the rest of nuance so some people may not be aware we are in other industries outside of healthcare where we've actually been using virtual assistant technology deep ai um, not only in healthcare, but in the financial services industry, in the automobile industry, in the entertainment industry. So folks may not realize, like if you're a Delta girl like I am, right? I fly a lot, I'm Platinum Delta. Every time I interact with Delta on the phone, that's nuance. That's the voice on the telephone. Um, if you do voice prints with your bank for voice authentication, you do 400 million voice prints a year for, for banking institutions. That's nuance voice biometric technology. Um, any of the chat rooms that you may be um, working with in a lot of the big Fortune 500 companies, that's all nuance technology. So we're leveraging that same, and we're in 200 million automobiles, I should have said that, right? So we're leveraging that same technology footprint and AI stack to bring the use cases into healthcare and apply it to all of the HIPAA and privacy and healthcare domain expertise that we have um, to bring about this whole ambient clinical intelligence experience. So to your point, it's going to be both incremental and then very disruptive when we reinvent that workflow so that they don't have to do all that paper anymore. It's one of my other favorite aspects of this is the adjacent possible, what we did and what we were able to pull from other industries and you you, you mentioned it you didn't talk about it but I'm I'm familiar with it the whole concept of taking uh, the experience in the car which is a very difficult place to do speech recognition but you do that and you do it with some intelligence and actually multiple input sources that allow you to filter out the noise and essentially applied that in the same uh, 
the same way, but in the clinical setting, right? Yes, well, and for those that haven't been able to experience the experience room, it uses a very intelligent device. And so the development, not a, or the device, not only has an array of microphones, but to your point, it actually has sensors so that it can pick up, just like in the automobile, we now can figure out, if it's a family of eight in a big suburban, Whose voice is talking? Right. Who's saying, play my music? Yeah. Who's looking out the window where are their eyes pointing when they say, what's that restaurant? We can answer those questions, right. but it is using hardware in combination with software to be able to, um, it's called beamforming, big word, but in the hardware that actually helps to figure out at what location is the voice coming from, identify the voice, and map it to the appropriate parameters. So it is pretty sophisticated. So talk a little bit about the experience room and um, you know the setup of that. So people can come to the booth. Um, how, how does that work? What's, what's the yes, process? they can come to the booth. We're doing, um, the experience only takes about nine to 10 minutes. So we're running them every 15 minutes, and we have the capacity to get over a thousand people through over the course of the show. And uh, so far, we're already getting the line. So I think that's a good sign that people are really interested. Um, obviously, it's we've only been doing it a couple of hours so far, but the reactions have been extremely positive. Right. Usually, the first word you hear is, "Wow." Right. Um, I suspect more physicians will go through and will start to hear explicatives because that's usually the reaction. It's wholly followed by something, but uh, um, so I'm, I'm excited to see the reactions today. We'll have to, to get some folks on your show to talk about. Yeah, no, so that's that's one of the things that we're hoping to do is to get some immediate reaction um, and also trying to understand, you know, I, I've seen it. I don't want to spoil the surprise. Um, tell us a little bit about what's hard in that. I mean, it, it looks easy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Appreciate the, appreciate the comment. So the hardest part with AI is getting the data. So we have several development partners that we work with. Rush Medical Center is one of them. There, there are several others. But we have literally spent years collecting the data to train these models. Um, so they have worked with us to give us, with, with permission, the recorded encounters that we can train the algorithms off of. So that, that is really the hardest part of doing some of this work, is just getting the data to then teach the models how to recognize when someone's pointing at their right knee, it may not say the word right, you know, I've got knee pain, but right. the medical record still captures it's the right knee. There's a lot of additional information that's being transmitted in that interaction that isn't verbal, and you're starting to pick up some of that that actually is giving you insights into the overall uh, clinical note, clinical content, which really um, allowing you to create a, a much more realistic rendering uh, that would be acceptable to the clinician. Yes, and yeah. then we're even thinking to the next level of there's always going to be, you know, as a, as a practicing physician, tacit knowledge that even the, the physician when they walk in the room and how the, the patient presents, you may already be thinking some sensitive topics in your head like, oh, this patient is obese. That may add to the, the, the situation. This person looks like they might be depressed. Um, interestingly enough, even through voice, you can pick up indicators of depression that the software could flag for the physician. Um, we also are just trying to think through the application as we redo this to say, 
if the clinical note's written for them, giving them the opportunity to add some of that tacit knowledge when they're signing off on the note to say, factor in obesity, factor in you know whatever those other factors may be that they wouldn't want to say out loud right. um, in front of the patient. So there may be things that the AI can add, like sensing depression, but there may also be um, just that opportunity to add some of that tacit knowledge in that's more sensitive in nature. So um, just many possibilities, many possibilities. Okay, so um, we're almost at the end of time. Um, any passing thoughts on where this technology is going? What do what you think the next, uh, next innovation that's going to be happening in, in your world? Well, the next innovation will just be for us to continue to refine this idea of ambient clinical intelligence. But I think my hope, as I think about it, is we often refer to nuanced solutions today because doctors are in a lot of pain, as we talked about, as painkillers. We give them back time. We reduce their level of pain. Ambient clinical intelligence has the potential to be the cure. If we can get this right, it which we really hope we can, it has some real potential for the challenges that are out there. So just a very exciting time. So this is Dr. Nick. I'm here at uh, HIMSS 2019 uh, with uh, Brenda Hodge, Senior Vice President from uh, Nuance for Marketing. Um, and we've seen the future, and it is ambient clinical documentation that is passive. Come see it. Uh, come check it out at the booth. Thanks for joining me, Brenda. Thank you, Dr. Nick. Appreciate it. So, Nick, what do you think of the conference so far? Well, so, uh, as usual, it's uh, insanity and walking. Uh, uh, I, I heard that it was uh, the distance of walking the uh, Sears Tower, or it's not called the Sears Tower in Chicago, uh, to walk the floors. I haven't done that yet, but I did manage to make my steps. With but no the benefit effect. is all that walking gives you exercise, right? Yep, absolutely. Okay, this is Dr. Nick. I'm here live at HIMSS 2019 with Health Innovation Media and Healthcare Now Radio. Um, I'm here with Fred Goldstein. Fred, uh, you've been here for a couple of days. What have you seen so far? It's been, it's been fascinating. Obviously, yesterday we had some of the breakout sessions. It was really interesting to see the ONC head right. uh, come out, Don Rucker, and talk about the new uh, rules that they're promulgating to try and make uh, data available to the person and actually thinking about it from a person-centric approach. So I think we got a, uh, that's gotten a lot of attention and, and media play, and I think it's going to make things better. How it ultimately gets implemented, obviously the devils are in the details. I think it's one of the key things that I picked up from yesterday as well. But I, I, I always feel about this, so I, I hear a lot of pushback when the government gets involved, you know, there was the charge master issue. They said, you know, all hospitals had to reveal their charge master. I heard lots of pushback, it's meaningless information, can't interpret it. My response is always, as you reveal this information, there's going to be somebody out there that's got some insights that can offer up some value. And I think it's the same with this new push by them, which is to say, stop messing around, share this data. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's, it's sort of a response to the fact that years ago we spent a whole bunch in health IT and funded it up. Here's the, you know, all the money, go put in EHRs, etc. And what ultimately happens then is the vendors built those systems, but they didn't create it in a useful manner, ultimately, for that end user. So I think it's right for the government to step in and say, wait a second, folks, we expect you to create the systems that will become interoperable, that will share data, and that will give that to the individuals themselves so that they um, 
they can use it and, and push it to their apps or wherever and not have it jammed up in multiple systems. It, it, it's just such a basic issue that I, the idea that we don't share data with the patient and, and you know this sense of ownership, one of the key things that I heard in that particular announcement is, you know, stop asking for money for data that you created that you already charged money for as part of the, the consult. The right. idea that you get to charge an additional fee um, you know, has been absolutely capped and that's not an acceptable behavior, which you know, for me was just basic sort of good sense, as it were. And then the deliverance of that to individuals allows us to start making decisions about our care and correcting information. Right, right, and getting that information. So we've taken a big step, I think, which is, assuming we get there, which is, hey, you've got to now share this data. It's got to be no charge stuff. And then the next step is, who owns the data? And I think we're trying to unlock that healthcare system from saying, it's ours, we don't share it, we'll control how you can have it, and uh, and that's gonna take a little more time, but I think that's the critical next step, is to get that data into the hands of each of us so we can say, here's how we wanna do it. Right. Now, um, anything else that you've seen uh, as you've been walking through and uh, you know going to some of the sessions? Um, so, I think the other thing that's gonna be interesting, obviously there are a lot of companies here, is what's What's the buzzword of this year? Um, and one of the key areas we've discussed this a little bit as we go around is everybody's you know talking triple aim, triple aim, improve the health of populations, uh, uh, improve the uh, the uh, experience, and ultimately lower costs. And obviously quadruple aim. Let's also try to help the providers out and not just put this burden on them. I'm looking for vendors and others who have things that actually address the cost conundrum. Who's putting something out there that's not just another layer in the onion, right. but actually says, this is gonna go in and here's how we, we've either created more efficiencies, better clinical outcomes, but at the end of the day, not driven up costs because we're reaching that point now and I think that we're pretty close where employers and others are saying, we've had enough, we're gonna find something else, and I think there's a great role for technology if they can look at it and add that third or fourth aim of reducing costs. Should, shouldn't that be the primary aim? Um, I, th I think that should be, although as a provider, I'm surprised you say that as a physician, because most of the times you hear physicians say, quality, which I understand too, you've gotta to have quality, but, but, I, but I guess for you, that's a given, right? Oh well, yeah, and, and, and the reality is, I, I mean, not to discount quality, but, Ultimately, if, if it's not cost-effective or affordable, it doesn't matter how quality-based it is. Right. You're, you're essentially missing... I, I, nobody's going to access it because they can't afford it. Right. And it, it was fascinating. I don't know if you saw the pharma companies announced they were going to have a new potential cancer drug at two and a half million dollars and they just they said well our goal is we're going to actually allow it to be financed so hopefully it will fall over multiple insurers over multiple years and to actually believe that's an idea it's sort of similar to the hand washing one you're right. kidding me right yeah. Yep. yeah no absolutely so um we've clearly got some uh, uh exciting things to talk about we'll be covering mm -hmm. that as we go through but um i'm just gonna uh we're, we're gonna be back in 60 seconds this is dr to Nick with Fred Goldstein uh, on Health Innovation Media uh, with Healthcare Now Radio at HIMSS 2019. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Hi, this is Dr. Nick and I'm here at HIMSS 2019. 
with Health Innovation Media and Healthcare Now Radio. I'm joined by Dr. Yar, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce your last name. I'm going to ask you to do that. Thank you so much. My name is Yar Kuma Crystal. There we go. So, um, thanks for joining us today. So, I, I know you've either got a presentation or um, you, you've given a presentation talking about some of this. Tell us a little bit about your background, what you do, and how you came to this point, if you could. Absolutely. I'm a pediatric endocrinologist and a biomedical informaticist, which means I get to spend some of my time taking care of patients and the remainder of my time getting to rethink how we're doing the EHR and how we're using data to better improve the lives of our patients. The way I got to this particular project was just my own frustration about how hard it was to get information out of the computer and just knowing there could be a better way. And then we got to partner with Nuance to come up with this concept of an EHR voice assistant where like Siri or Alexa, you could just use your voice to ask questions that you needed and have the computer serve it back up to you. So um, tell us a little bit about your experience using this to date. Um, and I know that you're, you're presenting, so uh, share a little bit about the details of what that is and what's involved in, in the presentation and some of the experiences that you've had. Absolutely. The most frustrating part as a provider in terms of trying to figure out where the information lives in the EHR is that the layout, the kind of a graphical user interface, is completely dependent on somebody else's concept of what matters. When you already know what you want, you literally are like, I want to know what the last cholesterol or I want to know the CBC, but you have to find it based on how somebody else mapped out. Wait, you're looking for mind reading technology? <laughs> and it's essentially that my, my husband jokes this is the closest that I'll ever come to being a wizard where you can just evoke the words you want and then have them come to being. But it's pretty much that. You know what you want, you know the information you want. Right, you do. And at, we as people, how we communicate and ask for things is by using our voices. So it just makes sense that with health data, the most important information in terms of taking care of a patient, you should be able to ask for what you want and get it back. So we're building a tool that allows you to just use natural words and natural language to say, what is this patient so-and-so, or describe this patient to me, or when were they last here to see me? And that information will be served back to you in a way you would normally understand. And it doesn't require you to fiddle around with the computer and the mouse, and it just makes the experience a lot more satisfying. And also when you're there with the patient, that keeps you from being distracted and makes this the EHR be less of this like intrusive third party and more of a participant in your patient experience. So um, one of the things you talk about is, is hands-free um, and clearly voice is one of the enablers of that. Um, how do you how do you manage that process? What, what's the sort of setup in your clinical environment to make that work? So the computer microphone is able to capture the voice and the sound that you say, and it just processes it and gives you the information back, so it's all right there on the screen. But also we're very mindful about how to speak back the information so that it has all the context you need so you don't have to necessarily look over at the screen. Uh, one of the next steps that we're going to be working on is a mobile application that can give you a summary about a list of your patients that you're seeing for the day. Because in a car, you should definitely be hands-free and eyes-free on the phone, but at the same time, you can still get relevant context. It's as if you were commuting to work with an intern sitting next to you and you could ask them, who are the patients I'm seeing today? They could just read you off a summary of the relevant things you need to know to get your day started. So actually, as you think about this, one of the ways that I, I conceptualize this is this is not really very different to having an intern working that's super efficient on the keyboard <laughs> and really has a good understanding of the healthcare terminology and is able to capture all of that information. Has that been your experience? Absolutely. And I think the transitional point is when we can take it from intern level to like third year resident. <laughs> and so, the more it knows and understands wait, about what you actually... are you calling interns, need. not 
not. Uh... No, I love an intern. I was an intern at one point too. We all were. And at some point you just understand the more context that you're able to give, the more specific information you can attribute to what the provider specialty is, what conditions the patients have, the more useful you can make that information. And just really knowing. It's, it's, it comes back to what you were saying about kind of being like omniscient and yeah. um, really understanding what is behind the question. When someone says, tell me about this patient, it's going to be a different answer for a rheumatologist versus an orthopedic doctor. I, I think that's really important actually because as, as you think about the learning that has to go on in, into the internalization of that data and the system, um, we as human beings, that's what we do. We contextualize the conversation, and if you think about it in medicine, you know, when I'm talking to the orthopedist, it's a very different conversation to the internist and you know the hospitalist. And if we can automate some of that, we've now got essentially a tool that starts to deliver much more relevant uh, real-time information to the individual that's looking for it, right? You said it perfectly. I mean. Sometimes I have to kind of explain the concept, but you completely get it, and this is just really exciting. <laughs> so, uh, what's been the experience with patients? Have you had any interactions, and what do they think of all of this? With my demo model, I have used it in front of a few of my patients, and the kids, I'm a pediatrician, right. um, they are just absolutely enthralled Oh, they want to take the microphone away and use it, right? No? <laughs> um, and they, they want to speak to it themselves yeah, and see the information they get back. And the parents themselves, they are just really optimistic. They're like, oh, does this mean that you get to spend less time in front of the computer because that's their expectation now that we're just married to our computers now instead of making eye contact with them um, so they're really optimistic as well so I don't know if you're familiar with the famous article from the Journal of the American Medical Association it's about I want to say five or six years old it was the picture drawn by the seven-year-old have you seen that I think so uh, so it's the one where the, there's uh, you know the the, the, uh, the young patient drew a picture of the wait uh, not the waiting room but actually the examination room right and there's the whole family sitting in you know a row and then the physician and the, the little girl and the physician is literally facing the screen the computer, and I'm yeah. thinking you've got a perfect opportunity <laughs> for a follow-up article to ask one of your patients to draw a picture and see if I they have a different this. picture oh now. Isn't that a great I, idea? This is so brilliant and I'm really hoping this really puts the patient back in the center of the conversation. Well it should. I mean uh, we're all here because we appreciate the usefulness of computers and data and taking care patients but unfortunately the way we've implemented things so far they've become a distraction so I think it's time to kind of rethink and re-engineer things to make them as helpful as they can be without taking them away from our patients. So do you think there's a challenge with uh, older physicians accepting this? Do you think they're going to say, well no it's you know super technology and that I, I don't need it? Well, ironic because if anything this is more suited for the people who aren't that tech savvy everybody knows how to talk a two-year-old knows how to I talk agree with you. an 80 year old knows how to talk and as long as it works that's the most important thing as long as it works reliably and you can answer and ask questions the way you normally would you don't have to say it a very specific way you don't have to memorize a very specific pattern of speech anyone can use this so I think that's important. So one of the things that I, I, I don't know that people necessarily notice, but it's the capacity to use synonyms. So I don't have to say consistently, show me the lab results. Give me the labs. What are the labs? Yes. 
Right. Can I see the laboratory results on this patient? All of those synonyms work. Now, to be clear, it's not all of them. I think, you know, it's impossible to come up with all variations that we as human beings seem to come up with, but the vast majority. So the learning is turned on its head. You don't have to go into this sort of learning experience. You can just start using, right? Right, and that, to your point exactly, just there's a concept of like lemonization, where you have a word and all the different ways you can say that word. Right. And then the concept of word mapping, where you have a word and it's related to other words that mean similar things and being able to capture that and the variability in human speech and that's really what we're trying to build here to make this as flexible a protocol as possible and fortunately Nuance's tools allow us to build some of this variation here so again you don't have to memorize a very specific like macros people are used to macros macros are great right. but people don't use macros because you program your macro to say insert my last physical exam but if you say insert my physical exam don't use the word last it won't work that's not the way we talk right. that's not the way we no, operate it's not it's, it's about the natural exchange. The other thing, you know, important for me to point out is it will pick up the funky pronunciations like <laughs> respiratory that everybody goes, well, what did he say? And, you know, so it has this normalization across international, so our variation is yes. know, the norm. Yeah. Um, where do you think this is going? What's, what's the next sort of step in all of this? I think the biggest leap after we get the provider facing and the in-room assistant is patient facing. Because patients want to know about their health information also. And the way we're building these things to retrieve information, it's as easy as switching up pronouns. So you can say, show me her last cholesterol. For a patient, though, it's show me my last cholesterol. But at the same time, the information we communicate back to a doctor about a cholesterol is going to be very different than what a patient wants to know when he's talking to a patient about the cholesterol. So really understanding how to formulate and how to communicate information back when you're trying to explain to someone and educate them about their right. health versus a doctor retrieving information so they can make health decisions. So, and that brings up another interesting point that I saw in, in the uh, uh, demonstration room is there are two streams of data. There's the, you know, literal stream, and a lot of that contains that um, general narrative that patients would be more familiarized with. Hi, this is Dr. Nick, and we're here at HIMSS 2019, and we're live streaming on Healthcare Now Radio with Health Innovation Media. And we're here on Nuance's booth, and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, a good old friend of mine. Uh, not saying that he's old, he's <laughs> a friend of long standing, uh, Dr. Rizwan Pasha. He's a CMIO at Nuance. Riz, thanks for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who are you? What do you do? And uh, how did you get to this point in your career? Yeah, sure. So, I'm, in a, I'm an emergency physician. I uh, practice at uh, Kettering in uh, Dayton, Ohio. And I've been practicing medicine for about 20 years. Uh, I actually started a company about uh, 10 years ago for Epic Services uh, called PPP, or Physician Technology Partners, and we were acquired by Nuance about three years ago. We've been working with Nuance for about 10 years, actually, um, and uh, helping with implementing Dragon, helping with training, and then we also got into Epic Services and training and implementing and optimization. Uh, and then now all of those services are now embedded in Nuance as part of Nuance EHR services. So it's worth talking a little bit about that PTP because I, I obviously watched a little bit of that uh, in the past. That was very significant. I mean, it was really a new uh, innovation. We had all this speech technology, but physicians were struggling. I, I, what happened? What, what was your sort of pathway to get there? Yeah, so we wanted to make it seamless. So this was kind of early on in the implementation of EHRs, and we wanted to make it seamless and make it easier for physicians to adopt the EHR. 
So we saw Dragon or Nuance as a tool to help with that adoption. And we wanted to make it seamless and integrated into the workflow. So one of the things that we did was to kind of look at the workflow and understand the workflow intimately, look at the documentation needs, and tie Dragon uh, to their workflow and make it basically seamless. So physicians would see a patient, they would be able to say, insert my, my cardiac template, bring up a, a cardiac template that's designed for a cardiac patient, and then be able to document, use voice to navigate within that template, document different parts of the encounter using voice commands, and then sign the note by voice, and then navigate to different parts of the EHR and do the next thing. So one of the things that I remember vividly that you've talked about in the past um, was the time saving that you, essentially, you, you were doing your own experiment because you had different sites where they had and did not have uh, Dragon, didn't have the PTP sort of innovations. What, what were the sort of comparisons of those two experiences? Yeah, so we did different time studies and we did different uh, studies to look at actual usage of time spent in the EHR with voice recognition, without voice recognition, just using plain EHR. Uh, and there was about anywhere from 30 to 35 minutes on average, uh, physicians were saving every single day. So that was pretty significant. Uh, you know, you look at the workflow of physician and you're seeing multiple patients, that can be two patients per day during looking at 15 minute encounters. So that was pretty significant. Uh, and with navigating within the EHR, we would actually cut that down further. And also just the joy of practicing. I mean, if you're sitting there in front of a computer typing or not having voice available to you, that was you know not, not a great experience for a lot of providers. So, and I think you personally had, you know, time saving that got you home earlier. So when you were working in a place that didn't have, you, you were essentially, I think, ending your shift and having to sort of go back and catch up on documentation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still pretty common, actually. Even now when physicians are documenting, sometimes they get behind. Uh, and if they... Only sometimes? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so what we're seeing is, you know, we, we see physicians documenting. They're spending one to two hours a day afterwards after they finish their work a day, go home, maybe spend time with the kids, and then they'll get back on the computer and do their documentation, uh, which is, to me, is just crazy, right? So what we try to do is we try to make sure that, make remove all the barriers, make it as easy as possible, train the physicians uh, effectively, and make them be able to document as they see the patient, do the encounter. And now we're transitioning now from where we used to use a microphone, a handheld microphone, and dictate into an EHR. Now we're heading into the ambient clinical space, where physicians and patients can have that encounter, have that document, have an interaction in the room, and the device in the room is listening to the encounter and essentially capturing that information, synthesizing a note in real time, and and documenting that uh, before the patient even leaves the room. So that's one of the things that um, you and I have both experienced the, the, the new innovation, uh, the experience room. Um, if you're here at the show, uh, come on by. Um, what was your impression? Had you seen it before? I, I have. I've seen a different version of this, but the version today that we, we have demonstrated, this is a live version with a real patient, real physician, doing real documentation. It's not a mock-up. So this is actually listening to the documentation that's being done in real time, understanding every single word that's being said, documenting that on one side, applying context to that, and actually creating a clinical encounter just like a physician would dictate or a scribe would document for you. So it takes the, 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 the chatter between the physician and the patient, takes important concepts out of that and makes the HPI. 
as the physician is talking about it, as the physician is, uh, is talking to the patient or examining the patient, it takes that verbal cues of what the exam shows and making a physical exam section out of it. So, and then taking the plan and, uh, and parsing that data and creating order books and being able to put orders in and, and put your synthesize your plan or impression from that documentation. So that is pretty exciting because that's, you know, right now the only way to do that is having a scribe in the room, right? And this is essentially removing that scribe or another person in the room and doing it from a, essentially like a computerized scribe that's in the room with you all the time. And a computerized scribe that actually has intelligence, essentially, because Absolutely. they're understanding not just the patient and the physician, but the context of that exam with all the historical information that they're pulling up, right? Absolutely, and, and some of the things that it also has is the ability to show me information in the EHR. So as a physician is talking to the patient, they say, hey, let me look at your last x-ray from you know two months ago. And you can just talk to the, the device in the room and say to the, to, the, to the ambient intelligence device in the room and say, show me the x-ray from two months ago. And we'll bring it up onto the screen and show you the image. So it's actually being able to retrieve data from the EHR, document your encounter, plus document your plan, and document orders that you may want to prescribe for this patient. So do you think we're seeing the end of documentation as an activity or even, you know? Yeah, we're, we're, we're heading in that continuum, right? I mean, that's what we ideally want. I mean, all the bane of most physicians, and I'm a practicing physician right now, is, you know, you see the patient, then you go back and you do your documentation. You kind of regurgitate what you want to document in that note. But if I walk in the room and I talk to the patient and I'm examining the patient, if the document can be created and teed up for me already before I even leave the room, that's amazing, right? I mean, that's where we're heading, and we're, we're, we're very close to being there. Uh, so I, I think it's pretty exciting and you know, just very innovative. So have you had any sort of personal experiences in your clinical practice using any of this kind of technology over and above some of the um, automation that you already introduced as part of the uh, PTP uh, technology? Yeah, so this is coming. I mean, right now, Epic has, as an example, has virtual assistants built in. So you can use a virtual assistant in your mobile device. So you can use Haikyuu and Kanto. And you can actually talk to the device and say, show me the last creatinine for this patient. If you're in the room, talking to the patient, and you're thinking, okay, this patient's got renal failure, and you want to look it up or, or do a trend analysis, you can just talk to the device, and it'll go find it for you and graph it for you. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, so those, the, the, the virtual assistant portion of it is live right now. Uh, you can actually talk to a mobile device or to a desktop device uh, and talk and retrieve the data from the EHR. And when you say virtual assistant, you say that as a sort of general term, but I'm getting the sense that that's actually nuanced technology? Correct. So it's a nuanced technology embedded in uh, the EHR. And it is, uh, and we're actually bringing out the virtual assistant now to any Dragon Medical One product uh, platform. So any EHR will be able to do a virtual assistant with as long as we can communicate with that EHR uh, and be able to retrieve data and also put orders in and some other, just like an assistant would that's walking around with you like a virtual scribe would. Yeah, and so one of the other things that I, I feel around this is that it's it's not even the scribe to a you know a slightly different sort of category of documentation. It almost feels like the intern or you know 
resident that's doing some of this activity on behalf of the clinician because they bring all that added value and knowledge and experience to the uh, interaction. Absolutely, and this is just the beginning, right? Then we can also see some decision support coming with this as well. Right. Uh, so right now, I mean, the, the, the ambient intelligence will be able to assess the patient, what you're documenting, and provide recommended therapies based on this specific patient, this specific encounter, and the appropriate uh, therapies for this patient. So that's the next stage, right? We're not, right now we're focusing on documentation and getting orders in with the physicians documenting, but the intelligence between this, behind this platform will be also be able to help you with decision support and be able to provide you with appropriate therapies or remind you of certain appropriate therapies you may want to consider. So, you, you've seen the demo, um, you know, I think it's it's in a specific domain. Um, uh, does it work everywhere? So right now it works, we have a demo platform here, it works here. We have uh, several demo platforms running in several different uh, hospitals and it's working there. No, I, so I, I was thinking more in terms of specialty and, and different areas. Yeah, so our focus, we're starting with orthopedics. Okay. Uh, but then we are going to expand to all the other specialties. Uh, emergency medicine is definitely something we're looking at right now. You would think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and provide real-time uh, suggestions for documentation. Also looking at risk factors for documentation. So that's another thing that we're looking at is actually documenting about a specific complaint or a specific patient. You know, a patient may have chest pain, uh, but you may forget to ask some key questions if the pain radiates in a certain direction. Right. Or if it's a certain quality of the pain. So if you forget those kind of questions, the, the intelligence behind this product will actually listen to what you're documenting, remind you of other things you should consider in your documentation as you're doing your documentation in real time. I mean, it's better than a scribe. A scribe may not, you know, poke you in the shoulder and say, hey, what about this? No, they'd be too terrified. Right. So this will actually just give you a visual cue. And as you're doing your documentation, hey, ask about the quality, ask about the radiation, ask right. about, you know, when the onset was. Uh, so I can see risk reduction and finding appropriate diagnoses based on by kind of nudging you in the right direction and also helping you with your documentation quality and your billing quality. Yeah, so, and, and you mentioned billing, so one of the other uh, elements of this is obviously coding. Is that coming out of this as well? Uh, so coding is, yeah, we have a whole business focused around coding. Uh, we're not specifically looking at coding, we're looking at specifically at risk reduction and quality improvement of the documentation. Uh, we've, we've looked into that. Uh, we've had a lot of internal debate about if we should be prompting physicians to improve the documentation for coding improvement. But I think that's a secondary game. Uh, the EHRs do a pretty good job with that already. Uh, so we're looking at focusing on some risk reduction and quality improvement. Right. Um, and as you expand out into other specialties, are the, the places where you think this applies better than others? I mean, I, I think about emergency room and, you know, I, I'd obviously want to see it there, you would. Is, is that a tough place because of the ambient? I mean, how does it work in those yeah, settings? So these are actually an individual room. So the patient is in a specific room and it looks in it as, and, and there is sort of microphone device that you see downstairs in our, in our demo unit downstairs. It has 16 array microphones. It is 
able to also uh, has some infrared cameras so you can also locate the location of the patient the physician and a family member or several family members and is able to distinguish different voices so it would actually work fine on a patient room in the emergency department one of the things that obviously both the test and the value is in a trauma situation where you have it's very noisy and multiple players that may not be the ideal situation but if you're in a patient room looking at a belly pain or right. evaluating a patient with chest pain this would be fine uh, and it would work just as well I, I, I've got to say I'm, I'm rooting for the uh, the trauma room because that's one of the places where you know everything finishes and then people will look around okay what just happened what do yeah. we need to know <laughs> exactly yeah so I mean probably I know it's a tough yeah. tough reach but you know that's clearly somewhere yeah. where we'd like to see it yeah, uh, engaged um, so other things going on in, in uh, the, the technology world and, and your innovation what, what are you seeing what's happening yeah, so there's a lot of AI here. I mean, right now we're seeing uh, a lot of companies focusing on AI, uh, but you know, Nuance has a history of, of, of working in AI for many, many years in many different industries. So we're able to bring that to the table now in the healthcare space. Uh, but that's really you know where we're seeing is kind of a movement towards using some of the of, of the data that we're collecting, using AI to analyze that and 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 help physicians and, uh, and providers. Uh, provide information in real time. So what separates out the, the nuanced technology from others that people might be familiar with, like Alexa, for instance? What, what, are, you, what are you seeing as yeah. the sort of differentiation point? Yeah, so the nuance, what's, what's different about nuance is we have a deep domain expertise in healthcare. Right? We've been doing this for many, many years. We have, uh, you know, we've been working in the transcription business, we have a scribing business, we have the dragon business, we have thousands of folks competing in the cloud uh, and have uh, all those, all their information in the cloud. Now we're able to analyze that information and use our AI technology to, to help automate that and also to provide uh, ambient intelligence and help do documentation and order entry for that. So that's one thing. And the second thing is we also have a deep domain expertise in other industries, like uh, the automotive industry and in the mobile industry. Uh, so we're able to, and we've been using AI in that space for many, many years. Healthcare is a little bit behind. So we're bringing some of that technology that we have in those spaces into the healthcare space. So one of the uh, things that I hear repeatedly out in the marketplace is, well, why not just put an Alexa um, in the patient room and use that? Yeah, I mean, you have to be contact sensitive of the EHR. You have to have, one of the things that Alexa, I mean, it's a great device, I have it in my home. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it, it's not looking at patient-specific information. It doesn't have the awareness of what's in the EHR. It does not have the ability to document medical information uh, and physicians use the EHR in many different ways. One of them is data retrieval. We have to retrieve that data to be able to document that information in the EHR, right, and, and have a, a, a document that's created uh, just like you would have described, and be able to control that EHR with voice and have that interface. So all of those things, I think, are very, very domain-specific, and uh, Alexa is a great product for the consumer, but I think for the healthcare space, I think it makes sense. And one of the things that stands out there is the integration. It's it, and, and bi-directional integration that says I'm going to access information and I'm going to push information back. That's a non-trivial problem in my experience. Correct. 
So you have to have the right interfaces built in, you have to be able to communicate in real time, retrieve all that information from the EHR, and then compare that to other information that other people are entering at the same time. Right. So and that's a very, very dynamic process that's happening. So we're able to kind of, read, and as an example, right now, as we have what we call computer-assisted physician documentation, where physicians, you know, we may do a note, but our technology can compare all the other notes that have already been done, compared to the note I just did, and provide suggestions on how to, of a diagnosis that we may be missing or not considering. So that's pretty unique, because we can then run an analysis of all the other documentation that's already been documented for a particular inpatient encounter, and be able to compare it to what I've just documented for the current condition of the patient and recommend additional diagnoses or recommend additional therapies that may not be considered. So that's a, a whole separate application? Yeah, a whole separate application for, for improving the documentation as we're documenting. Uh, and, and as we're putting information into the EHR, how do we make sure that uh, it's the most accurate, most up-to-date, and also looking at all the evidence and things that like, the patient may have, you know, may have vital signs that suggest some severe sepsis, but the physician may be thinking just sepsis. Uh, so how do I make sure the physician sees that as a big matter? Right, and then captures the appropriate information. I mean, I say separate, but ultimately I would imagine it would be incorporated into the same thing. It's just, it's currently available in, sure. in use, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as, as you think about the future, where do you think this is going um, for, for Physicians, for patients, what do you think that interaction will look like? Can you yeah, predict it? I, I don't know if I can predict it, but what we're hoping for, right, is the future is what we're seeing is where it becomes essentially something in the background. We take care of patients, uh, we see patients, we take care of, provide medical therapy, provide advice, and the documentation piece and the order entry piece becomes uh, something in the background that happens automatically with our supervision. That's what we see, and then appropriate therapies are presented to us in a, in a non-obtrusive manner to say, hey, consider this, or have you thought about this? But that will be the future where I can take care of my patients and not have, uh, not, it be, not be obtrusive while I'm doing it. Okay, well, so uh, Riz, it remains to uh, thank you for uh, joining me here at uh, HIMSS 2019. Uh, we're live uh, with Healthcare Now Radio, Health Innovation Media. Um, we're on the Nuance booth, 3345. Thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Up next, we're going to be joined by Pete Gerlach. He's the uh, Senior Vice President of Healthcare Strategy. Um, we'll be back in 60 seconds. So we're live at HIMSS 2019 with uh, Health Innovation Media and Healthcare Now Radio. Um, we're on uh, the Nuance booth 3345 and I'm joined by uh, an old friend and colleague, Pete Derlach. Pete, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for coming. Good to see um, you. So, uh, get this good spot up on the top of Well, so we, we, <laughs> we, we uh, pitched for uh, the best view and uh, all the hot air. <laughs> so you've been at this for a long time. Forgive me. I don't mean that pejoratively, That's but right. um, uh, a, a significant journey. Tell us a little bit about what's happened that's really unique and new uh, that's gotten, got us to the point that you're at at this show. Yeah, as you know, Nick, you've been in this space for a long time too. 
No, no. Yeah, I'm much younger than you. The, um, you know, from the early, you know, mid to late 80s, early 90s, when speech really started to become useful in healthcare. I remember back in the days, you know, in the mid 80s, you still had to speak like this. And it's, right. it's a long time ago, but not that long ago. And then early on, we got to what was called continuous speech recognition and products like PowerScribe and stuff in radiology were the first to take off. And over the last 20 years, you know, we've really seen the evolution of mainstream speech for the clinical users with Dragon Medical One, Dragon Medical One and other products that really have made a big difference for clinicians as they deal with the administrative burden of, of healthcare. You know, today on average physicians spend twice as much time with the administrative side than they do giving care and products like Dragon can really cut that administrative time in half. So that's made a big jump forward. But the next kind of the next evolution is really this idea to real intelligence, this idea of really a virtual assistant uh, in healthcare. And so it's not just that you're dictating to an EHR, but the system is actually bringing real intelligence to enable you to do more powerful things to improve kind of the productivity of the clinician, improve the patient experience, and bring intelligence back to the clinician to help them do their job, whether it's the physician or the nurse. It's a sort of a long-winded way, but for us, this real next generation of this idea of ambient, what we're calling ambient clinical intelligence, which is the ability for a patient physician to have a normal encounter, and instead of the physician facing the computer and spending their time that way versus facing the patient, right. which is what all physicians want to do, right. and we all know as patients it feels totally different if the physician is focused and they have a little bit more time uh, with us. You've seen all the studies around how the physician experience and the patient experience improves with all that kind of human connection that happens. So the journey is really getting to this point where the room, you're going to have a smart room that's listening to that conversation, automatically producing the note, actually writing the documentation for the physician, providing advice as appropriate to the clinician about what they might look for, and also trying to help with the coding and all the downstream abstraction processes that, that cause a lot of this physician burnout and also help the phys help the provider generate the appropriate financial reimbursement and quality of care that they're being measured on. And we're really excited about this next generation of AI that's really coming to bear now in, in 2019. So I, I've had the opportunity of both seeing it, talking to a lot of folks, and you know one of the questions very specifically for you is, given your history and, and insight into this, can you think about, you know, and, and put to one side the continuous, you know, staccato to continuous, is that that was an inflection point. What was the inflection point as you look back to get to here? What, what jump happened in terms of the technology? Or was it a, a, a method? What, right. what, what allowed you to get here? Because I'm pretty sure you wanted to get here for a long time. Yeah, I think it was really two, two things happened. It was kind of an intersection of the market and the technology. So the speech technology, as you know, has just gotten really much better over the last 10 or 15 years. So the ability not to do any voice training, to use it on any device, and to be highly accurate, regarded language especially, and you just start talking to it and get extremely high accuracy rates, that made a huge difference. The other big change is as meaningful use has driven the clinical documentation requirements into healthcare, all the insurers are also putting more mandates on the providers, you, you have this increasing burden, regulatory burden, on the clinician. So you have this interesting mix of mm. the pain on the clinicians increasing and the technology getting better. And you can think of products like Dragon Medical as a pain relief. 
for the clinician. Basically, it takes away some, not all, of that burn that's been put on them so that they can do what they went to school for, which is to try to take care of people. It's interesting. So what you're actually saying, as I think about it, is if we hadn't had this burden placed on physicians, we might not have reached this point. But because we overlaid that extra requirement of all this information, we've had to innovate to satisfy those requirements. Right. And, and I mean, there's a lot of value of having the patient records elect being electronic. Sure. We all know that the, the, the reasons for doing this, but um, you know, speaking is much faster than typing. So no matter how good a typist you are, speaking is a lot faster. Also, you can navigate the EHRs with these virtual assistant commands by saying, hey, Dragon, show me the growth chart, pull up the patient summary. In the Epic booth here, we're showing with Epic jointly the tight integration we've done into their system where you can say, hey, Epic, and do something, whether it's in hyperspace, on their Haiku mobile app for doctor and roller for nurses. So it's not just the dictation, it's also navigating, because if you talk to clinicians, a, a big part of the burden is the information retrieval number of clicks right. to find information yep. in the chart, to queue up orders, or to search for information. So if you can try to re reduce that, it's much easier to say, show Pete Durlach's patient summary, or when was his last colonoscopy, to click through five screens, and then you can just dictate that part of the note that you is not already collected in the HR. So I, I've, I've got, you know, head of strategy. Where's this going? I mean, this is already a huge leap, and let's be right. clear, this was, it's impressive. I think, you know, I, I'd struggle to find a physician that wouldn't look at that and go, I, I want this, this is, you know, the reality. What's next? Yeah, I mean, for us, as you mentioned, there was sort of a number of phases. The move from discrete speech recognition to what was called continuous was the first. The second big move was the accuracy, responsiveness, and no training of that technology. Right. That was phase two. And phase three is clearly this idea of ambient clinical intelligence. So instead of the physician seeing the patient, and then after the fact, right. starting from zero to document the note, generate the orders, and do any other information, we're now using that conversation that's happening between the physician and patient in an ambient sense and using that to automatically document for the clinician and do these other tasks. So instead of the physician having to manually start over after they've seen the patient, we're bringing that intelligence up to the front end when they're already having the conversation. That is clearly the next wave in this technology space. So you, you, you've got it configured, I think, around a specialty at this point. It's orthopedics. That's the, uh, the, the uh, experience room. Where do you think this is going to go? What do you think the next sort of beachhead is for? Right. So we are, we're actually developing across 30 specialties. We're just showing here one in orthopedics because okay. that we thought was a really relevant one to show, but right. this is going to cover all the major specialties. Oh, so it's not even limited. So, it's not limited. so um, as you think about uh, that rollout, have you had any customer feedback to date that you can share? I mean, it's still early with that technology. We're just previewing it for the first time here on the Ambient Clinical. The feedback's off the charts. I think people really now want to see it in their practice, and we're going to be launching the product early in 2020, so we'll see as we get going what the feedback has been. But the early indications are this is what people want. And what we've done is, just so you understand, is we've built it on top of Dragon Medical One, our cloud products, because we envision different use mo models for the physician. So if you're seeing the patient, you're going to want the encounter recorded and create the draft note. But when you're seeing the patient, you might want to call up 
information, so you want to be able to issue command. When the patient meets the room, you might want to just dictate a handoff note or a quick note, so you want to just dictate the way normally Dragon Medical allows you to do. Right. So you can do all of that off the same Dragon Medical Cloud product. Any of those three types of modes dictate, issue a virtual assistant command, hey Dragon, hey Epic, hey whatever, or have the thing listen to the conversation, those are all happening in parallel. This is one of the power. It's not like you have to pick one or the other. So I, I think the, the sort of foundation for that is the ability to put this in the cloud and do that reliably and allow you access to all of the resources as a result of that? Is absolutely. That? You absolutely need the cloud because all the, the deep neural net processing and all this data is happening in the cloud to make it get better and better. We couldn't have done that five or ten years ago with on-premise systems. So it absolutely requires the client to move to the cloud on the Dragon Medical one front. Okay. And I, we're, we're uh, almost at the end of time, so I, I want to leave you an opportunity to sort of talk about what excites you? What, what's, you know, it, it, it's great. I mean, I, I, I can't help but be excited because I think about my colleagues not having to go through this experience and, you know, focusing on the patient. What, what's driving you? What's your sort of personal sort of goal for all of this? Well, I think, you know, my goal, you know, I've been in healthcare for a long time is when you talk to clinicians today and you talk to the C-suite, this idea, this clinician burnout thing is a real epidemic, right? You're seeing over 50% of all clinicians are burned out. They are 15 times more burned out than, than other professions. Suicide rates are increasing. Divorce rates are increasing. There's been studies that show physicians that are burned out have 200% higher medical errors. You see physicians retiring early. You hear stories about them not recommending to their kids to go into medical. So we have a real kind of existential problem here. So I think for us, our mission here is to try to provide technology that lets clinicians get back to what they love to do and what they went to school for, which is take care of people. So, because without that, no matter how good everything else is, if we don't have the clinicians, who's gonna take care of, of the people, right? And right now, they've been so overwhelmed with these issues that it's really gone under the radar. Now it's a big deal, you hear it everywhere. AMA is, you know, talking to the federal government around it, but we can make a real difference on the ground. I mean, right now, when we deploy our products today, the satisfaction of the clinicians go from often 20 or 30% with their current workflow up to 70, 80, or 90%, and that's even before the ambient clinical intelligence. So if we can make that kind of difference with the people on the ground, I think you know we've, we've contributed something that's helpful to people, and that's what's really driving us. So you heard it here first. Nuance is returning the joy back to medicine allowing physicians to practice the medicine that they went to medical school. Pete, thanks for joining me. We're live at HIMSS 2019 Healthcare Now Radio uh, with Health Innovation Media. Um, look forward to seeing the next uh, steps in all of this, but very exciting as a burnt-out clinician. I'm excited. All right. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. So this is Dr. Nick. I'm live at uh, Health uh, Innovation Media on the uh, Nuance booth 3345. We're streaming live through Healthcare Now Radio at HIMSS 2019 and we'll be back in 60 seconds. Hi, this is Dr. Nick and I'm here at the HIMSS 2019 show. Uh, I'm on the Nuance booth at 345 and we are streaming live on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm delighted to uh, welcome 
an old friend and colleague, Dr. Dave Levin. Uh, he is now uh, CMO of uh, Sansoro Health, set up his own company, but a long-standing member of the community of healthcare technologists. Dave, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks, Nick. It's always a pleasure to sit down with you and chat. So I know you've had long involvement uh, in uh, the healthcare space and technology and innovation. Have you had an opportunity to see what's going on here on the uh, uh, the show floor and what's, uh, what, what's standing out to you? I've already been to every exhibit. I've talked to all 45,000 people that are here today. And now, I'll tell you, Nick, what's been exciting to me is I see signs of Health IT 2.0. There's some merging... Only 2.0? Only 2.0. You mean 4.0, right? Well, you know, I'd be happy to get from 1.0 to 2.0. You know, what I see 1.0 was the basic digitalization of healthcare. We put down our pens and we started using keyboards, which was sounds kind of simple, but it was a huge leap forward for healthcare. Um, now we're, I think we're really positioned to build on that in a couple different ways. And what I foresee as Health IT 2.0 is more of an ecosystem, more of, a, of an app store type model where we're going to see uh, an explosion of creativity and diversity uh, that can really accelerate innovation in healthcare. Um, and the reason I believe we're, we're here now and I'm seeing signs of that is we've pretty much come to the end of, of that laying the initial foundation. Um, and what people see is this is okay, but it could be a lot better. So it could be a lot more user-friendly. Um, it's clear we have issues the way we're impacting clinician workflow and burnout and those sorts of things. I think secondly, we, we did this originally to improve health outcomes. And as best I can tell, the, the studies that we have out there are kind of mixed. In some places, outcomes have improved. Uh, in other places, uh, they haven't, and in many cases, it's unclear. Um, we need to get on with that business. And I think this idea that um, we can enable a, a, a flourishing of creativity and innovation and do it at a much faster pace is how we're going to address that. Uh, of course, my interest in all of this is in the infrastructure layer, and I've spent better part of the last five years really looking at alternatives to traditional uh, interoperability and integration. And the reason I've always believed that was important is there's no app store economy if those apps can't easily plug in, exchange data, and really collaborate with each other. The good news is the rest of the digital economy figured this out a long time They did. Um, it's why our smartphones can do what they do. It's why large platform companies like Facebook and Amazon and Google uh, are successful, not just in the core of what they do, but in the way they expose data and services. So this notion of APIs is not new, it's just relatively new to healthcare. What we've seen in our own work is it is a really powerful model. It can dramatically reduce the time to deploy a solution, to scale it to enterprise. Um, it can produce a lot more data. It's just a much more agile and, and robust approach. And I've said this a couple times today. Um, I'm, I'm about halfway through the 724 pages of ONC rules that drop. The, the latest drop, yeah. That's right. 
Uh, oh, good. You're, you can tell us all about it. Then. Well, no, I, I can only I can only tell you my first impression of the first uh, 300 or so pages. Right. Um, so I know the words brilliant and federal government aren't normally issued in the same sentence, but the more I, I understand I'm with you. both what ONC is doing and the way they've collaborated with CMS, yep. I think what they're doing is brilliant. I, I, I agree 100%. I've heard lots of pushback for all of the reasons that you know we've experienced and whatever. And one of the things that you know I'm, I'm a big advocate of is these small steps. And you know whether that's a small or a big step, this is a step that's in absolutely the right direction. The thing that was really compelling to me was it, it was clear that this was not an additional cost, allow access, open the, day, the, the gate, and I, I'm with you 100%, very excited about it. Well, I do too, and I, I think um, it is going to bring um, this very set of market forces and competition that we were talking about earlier, and that's going to be good for everyone. I, I know that there are probably some incumbents that look at that and wonder what's next for them, but I, I think the experience in the rest of the digital economy is this can be a, a, a good thing for, for all of us. And there's some of the things that really appeal to me. I think this is putting the patient in the center of things where they belong. I mean, after all, it's their data. Um, and I also like that they have begun to broaden this to acknowledge that uh, we also need this for our provider community. They've, they've carried a huge burden in the last 10 years. And we've, we've really got to address that. I think this helps as well. Um, and then lastly, I think they've done it in a way, um, as you said, that kind of it minimizes the regulatory burden, but incentivizes us to do the right thing for patients, and I think ultimately for healthcare in general. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that sort of, you know, digitization, the use of the keyboard. We're here on Nuance's booth. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I've seen and, you know, I, I've been a, a big fan of is this sort of ambient listening. Um, they have a demonstration that uh, if you haven't seen, I would encourage you uh, to go through. And essentially, it's an ambient listening where instead of focusing on anything else that's going on, I'm focusing on the patient, we have a conversation, and the documentation gets produced as a byproduct. Um, for me, that sort of contributes to this in terms of that patient engagement and patient satisfaction, right? Uh, absolutely, and, and providers as, as well, obviously. Yep. You know, um, when I hear you talk this way, it reminds me of an episode of a podcast called 99% Invisible. And in that, they're talking about this notion of ambient technology. Mm. And the best example I've heard is glasses. And their point was, this is a technology that you wear, you put it on and you forget about it instantly. The technology itself recedes into the background. And his point was, you're not looking at the glasses, you're looking at the world through those glasses. And I think what you're describing is the same thing. So this notion of, we'll know we've really arrived in health IT when the technology's receded into the background. And your example, again, of this sort of ambient uh, listening to the discussion, um, I think is, is a foreshadows and, and is a very powerful and very practical approach right now. Let's get the technology out of the way. 
it's clear that it also, it's not just what we want to do for patients, it interferes with the clinician-patient relationship. Absolutely. Because we're, we're looking at the technology instead of each other. You're, you're probably familiar with that uh, piece that was uh, featured, the uh, seven-year-old drawing in the Journal of the American Medical Association where the physician focused <laughs> on the laptop versus, and everybody else is in the room, you know. So I, it's, it's that return to, I know that's what I want went to medical school for it was you know face-to-face communication I had no and I'm a tech geek I love the technology I didn't want to be sort of focused on it and blending it in a way that allows us to get the maximum value from this is really the sort of most important for all of us well I think that's right and and I I think this is a big big deal you know sometimes in the day-to-day we forget we're engaged in very sacred work absolutely I mean we, we are um, that's one of the most fundamental human things is to care for each other. And I'm sure that you and I have both had the experience of there's a moment in interaction with a patient where either we feel safe or they feel safe. There's a connection. Yep. And something is exchanged and it changes the course of their Absolutely. care, maybe the course of their lives. And to some degree, I fear we're, we're, we are interfering with that right now. It probably was a necessary detour to get to where we need to get to, um, but we've got to get back to that as quickly as possible. Yeah, it is. It's, it, it, it's funny you sort of cite it in those terms, but it is. It, it is very sacred. It's, you know, that level of trust that exists between the patient and the uh, uh, physician in, in that interaction it, it is absolutely impossible to sort of replicate in any other circumstance or any other interaction. It just doesn't occur. It, it supersedes even family in some instances. Um, and, you know, we have. We've essentially inserted all of this technology into the, uh, uh, the middle of it, and it's, it's disruptive, and we need to return to that. So um, tell us a little bit about anything that you've seen uh, as part of the show, anything that you're excited about that's uh, coming up. You and I have certainly talked about some of the future things. Um, Well, um, the things that strike me is that I think we're seeing um, some things that look like more practical solutions, things that you can do now that can really make a difference. Sometimes I've come to these shows that I feel like uh, either, well, this thing's not developed enough that it's that, that it's going to make a difference right now, or um, it's just, it's not practical. And I, I think what I'm increasingly seeing is there's been a kind of a sorting, and what's starting to emerge is the stuff that actually works, that has a, a measurable return, whether that's a financial return or clinical outcomes or improved satisfaction. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. I call it IRL, in real life. Um, and um, it's great to have the cutting edge stuff, and it's great to have the theoretical and the academic stuff. Uh, I'm, I think of myself more as a technologist. You know, how do we apply these things to make the world better tomorrow? I know you share that view as, a, as an incrementalist. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, so it's, I think I see sort of a technical equivalent of that, or at least green shoots to, to give me some hope. 
Yeah, it, 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 I, I mean, it's. I love reaching for the stars. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a space nut, so for me, that sort of we will, you know, uh, land a person on the moon, return it. That sort of, you know, vision. But to get there, and it was interesting. I, I sort of saw this in in two different instances. One was the uh, movie First Man that gave you some insight into one individual um, and how they you know how much they had to contribute but then also there was um, a whole sequence about uh, a couple of Apollos before and how much went into that in terms of those small steps so I, you have to blend the two I think they're not you know mutually exclusive it's it's revolution through evolution in my world um, so I, I, I agree um, uh, tell me a little bit about um, that uh, patient-centered piece. I know that's a, a, a big part of your world and your desire to sort of get information. We've seen this sort of move um, with the announcement, um, excited about that. Where do you think that's going to go? I mean, one of the pushbacks I hear is health literacy. Great, so you give all this information, who the hell can understand it? We talk in gobbledygook as far as patients are concerned. Yeah, well... So, um, first, let me uh, react to the, the bucket patients. Because, uh, Nick, I know you agree with me. Uh, we're, we're already on the wrong track when we start to talk about patients as if they were this monolithic, homogeneous group. Because they're not. Yeah. Um, and so, I think the trick is we're going to have to meet people where they are. And so I think about this idea of personalized medicine extending to personalized health IT. And by the way, this can be provider-facing too. Right. Um, and so the, I think what, what patients are looking for, certainly what I'm looking for when I'm a patient, is a lot of the same things I experience in the rest of my, my life. As I like to say every day I work in healthcare and then I go home and live in the 21st century. And so... And so, um, I think most people would readily accept, I'd like to make an appointment. I'd like to see some results. I'd like to be able to send a message. Um, all the stuff we do every day in our lives when it's retail, travel, finance, right. etc. Yep. Um, I think some people will go very deep on this, on the clinical information. And part of our obligation is to serve it up without the gobbledygook and to make the additional resources available. I mean, remember, you and I were trained that patients only hear half of what we say and the encounter and remember less. Yeah. And so this has been a problem from time immemorial. Technology can clearly help with that. I don't know about you, but these days, when I want to learn about something, typically YouTube is my first stop. Yeah, I realized that when my son, I, he was learning to shave, and I said, would you like me to show? Yeah. He said, no, that's all right, Dad. You can just YouTube it. There you go. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'll end by talking. You talk about your son. I'm going to talk about my mom. So my mom's going to turn 90 this year. Um, she's quite adept with an iPad. So I could definitely imagine her scheduling an appointment, sending a message to her PCP, uh, looking at some results. I don't foresee her managing her information on the blockchain, for example. 
Um, and not every 90-year-old is going to be that way, but some are. I think a lot of them will. Um, so, I, again, I, what I would say is actually, I think, uh, quite the opposite of that pushback, which is, I think, we all expect this because we live it every day. Um, and the technology could help actually help us address what, frankly, are long-standing issues that don't have anything to do with technology there around basic communication. So this is Dr. Nick. I'm live at uh, HIMSS 2019 with Healthcare Now Radio. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Dave Levin from uh, Sensora Health, Chief Medical Officer. Um, and uh, we are streaming live. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Thanks for joining me, Dave. Thanks, Nick. Always a pleasure. Hi, this is Dr. Nick, and I'm live on the uh, Nuance booth. Three. 345 um, and we're streaming live on Healthcare Now Radio with Health Innovation Media. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Karen Holtzberger. She's the Vice President and General Manager for Diagnostics uh, at Nuance. Hi Dr. Nick, so nice to see you and thanks for having us and being here at the booth today live streaming. It's really exciting. Very excited to have you. So um, Karen, tell us a little bit about um, what's going on in your world. Um, I know you cover specifically the radiology uh, piece of things that's a I don't want to say different but it's it's almost a, a, a leader in in terms of some of the innovation that we've seen in in this space tell us what's going on in your world absolutely such an exciting time for us I mean the radiologists are really the doctor's doctor really supporting the care team within the health system they've always been you know pioneers around AI and IT with the adoption of front-end speech to do reporting, whether it was the adoption of PACS, picture archiving communication systems with RISC, um, with the modalities of CT. You know, they are the thought leaders and forefront around AI, and this is why it's so exciting now for radiology with um, AI vendors with machine learning and deep learning tools to really augment the radiologist to provide the better care pathway to the care team on behalf of the patient. So why is it you think that radiologists have been so far in front of all of this? I think because they've always had to learn how to adopt technology um, really quickly, moving from film-based analog to digital, um, using what was CAD, computer-aided detection, computer-aided diagnosis in the past. They've always had these types of high-end technology tools here. So they've learned to adopt, learned to adapt very quickly. And so this is why AI Now, which is really the great partnership with us at Nuance, is because AI's been in our DNA all the do with speech to natural language processing through our CLU, now with PowerScribe taking the image characterization algorithms and be able now to do what we call the dance between the PAX viewers, the algorithms, and the report, which really represents the radiologist back to the care team. So I, that, that's interesting. You're, you're now starting to bring in some of the image analysis into that PowerScribe reporting world? Exactly. It's so important. If you think about the challenge that a radiologist faces today, he sits down in his workstation. He has a backlog of work to do, he or she has to do. It's more of a first in, first out. How can we leverage AI through these machine learning, deep learning algorithms around the images to help prioritize, to help say, look, you've got a critical case that you should read first, or these are all normal cases that you can get to later. So really rethinking how we can help 
plan and prioritize the day by using this great AI technology. So interesting, it's no longer the list of, you know, whoever decided the list or right. I'm doing X or mm -hmm. Y. You're actually digging into the image and saying, based on that image, we think that this requires Should be an read urgent next. read. An urgent read or a lower priority read. If you think about it, we have a use case at uh, Leahy Clinic mm -hmm. in Boston where they've implemented AI through our workflow orchestration, where AI runs, they find a bleed, and if it's in an outpatient setting overnight, that could actually sit on an unread work list. You think about the criticality of that. But AI says something and we can then move it to the overnight resident work list so somebody can actually get their eyes on it more quickly to actually start treating that patient more quickly. This is one way that we put AI into action. The second way, which is even more important, think about all the time that a radiologist has to spend mouse miles interpreting what the images are <laughs> mouse doing. Mouse miles. <laughs> Just think about the fact that you use that term, but go on. Um, as they're you know, looking at the characterization of the nodule, looking at the measurements, doing all that work, AI can augment that. And then with the integration that we're putting in to get those CDI, CDE, excuse me, uh, clinical data elements and structure into the report so they don't have to repeat themselves. You know, we talk about the clinicians having to repeat their days, they see their patients, they're in hospital, they're in clinic, and at night they're doing all that reporting, that documentation. The radiologist sees it in such a shorter time because he's sitting or she's sitting in packs doing all the measurements and all the interpretation and then has to repeat him or herself to get it into the report. That's just kind of silly. It is. And so if you can get the technology and what we're showcasing here at HIMSS where the viewer is interacting with the report and natural language processing through our own AI is listening in the background to be able to create the impression, give the standard-based recommendation from the different industry bodies like Fleischmann or the American College of Radiology, those types of things, you start seeing how the radiologist is actually reporting in a very different way. What used to be speech to text, as fast as I can get it done, get that report turnaround time, is now the putting together of the report through AI tools, integration from the viewers, natural language processing, evidence-based guidelines, pieces from the EMR, all that, that they're collating this data and attesting to it now, driving evidence-based medicine. So what, one of the things that I hear, you know, uh, challenges, concerns around this is there's, there's a fear that what is the radiologist going to be doing in the future? Right. What, what's the experience been with the radiology uh, teams that have been working with this so far? Excitement. So if you think about this, there is this fear, the hope, and the excitement around AI. We are in the absolute infancy of this AI journey for machine learning algorithms around image characterization. The algorithm is answering one question, Dr. Nick, at a time. The radiologist is answering dozens of questions. If you think about, he sits down, patients are sicker, they have more chronic diseases, they're more complicated cases, and the reason for exam could be shortness of breath. He's gotta answer the question of emphysema, he's gotta answer the incidental findings question, are there lung nodules? An algorithm can help augment some of that mundane work 
or repetitive work so he can get to the heart of the matter around the impression and the right industry-based recommendation. So I see these as the tools that they've always been excited about to help them be more accurate in this new definition of accuracy. So I, I think the key point in there is, and, and this is one I make repeatedly, I don't think it's exclusive to radiologists, mm -hmm. it's not artificial, it's augmented. Exactly. It, it's, you know, we're not replacing, we're just processing, it, you know, and it reminds me of, I know you've been in the radiology space for a long, long time. time. <laughs> when, you know, we started at, what was it, two slices, four yeah. slices, 16, right. you know, and we kept expanding the slices and the idea that physicians were managing to see all of that right. data, of course not possible in the time that was allotted. And what we had to do was to get them to the relevant pieces mm -hmm. quicker so that they could focus and be... The right things at the right time. Exactly. So um, you, you've got this, we can see it on the uh, on the booth. What else is going on in, in the radiology world from a nuance perspective? I think for us is make sure that, you know, the key person that we support is the radiologist. And if you think about his or her challenges, it's the same thing about burnout that the physicians, the entire physician community is facing. Um, they sit down, they do a nine hour shift, a 10 hour shift. They're worried about interruption. Am I getting to the right work at the right time? Am I doing a quality job? Do I have all the right pieces of information in front of me to make the right decisions? We know the key is in the report, but also the other tools that sit around him or her. How do we help get the right work to the right time through our workflow orchestration? How do we help manage communications and interruptions? How do we make sure that, for example, the tech is doing the right thing around the quality of the images? And so we see expanded tool sets around the radiologist to help him or her be much more effective and focusing on the interpretation. And so for us, our communications palette, our teaching files palette, um, workflow orchestration, again, using AI to help prioritize the right work, uh, the conferencing aspects, all those tools that a radiologist needs to get to the interpretation. So as you think about the journey to get here, and, and I know, you know it, it, there were multiple steps, what were some of the key innovations or insights that allowed you to get to this point? I mean, I always hear this sort of, you know, wow, it's an exponential move, whatever. Um, how do we get to um, this point of bringing all of these data pieces together? It's great. It's having great customer relationships that we have and the forefront innovators that are using PowerScribe today. We have a great example. If you get down to the where are the core problems that are facing radiologists today, it's around communication. It's about actually knowing about their, is the follow-up happening? And so some of the work that we're doing around uh, follow-up uh, adherence, uh, giving visibility through our analytics solutions um, that follow-ups aren't happening. You know, one of the challenges because the report, the reports, whether it's PowerScribe or something else, has been all unstructured today, and buried in is that recommendation. How do you make sure that the nurse navigator, the care team, the primary care physician are actually getting that? We are taking a, a big step back and helping clients through our analytics tools called Empower to be able to look at a swath of data over a 90-day period, a six-month period, saying, look. Out of this population of 150,000 reports, you made 
um, recommendations do X, Y, and Z. Balancing against um, some of the order, see if that follow-up actually happened. Shining that light on where the problems are around failed follow-ups and helping them change that outcome, whether it's a better patient outcome because of earlier treatment, whether it's an improved financial outcome because they're bringing the patient back in for that secondary CT scan that has to happen, those types of things, and to be able to put tools in place. You know, it, these failed follow-ups kind of fall in the middle. Is it the responsibility of the radiologist and the radiology practice to do this, or is it the responsibility of the care team after that recommendation has been made? We believe it's important, and this is the work some of that Dr. Ben Wonke is doing at University of Rochester about putting backstops in place really backstop programs, where he's reduced um, by 20% his failed follow-up rate um, with this. It's really, those are these important things to radiologists as well as to the entire health system. So this is fantastic. We've been uh, live at HIMSS 2019. Uh, we're at booth 3345. Come along, see the live demo. Uh, this is Healthcare Now Radio live with Health Innovation Media. Karen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, it's Dr. Been a Nick. Great pleasure. Appreciate it. Nice Thank to you. see you. Hi, this is Dr. Nick, and I'm live at uh, HIMSS 2019 on booth 3345 uh, with Health Innovation Media, streaming live on Healthcare Now Radio. And I'm joined today... Abdul Hamid Halabi. I am the uh, global lead of healthcare at NVIDIA. Fantastic. So thanks for joining me. Um, tell us a little bit about your role and what your uh, involvement in uh, uh, this whole uh, innovation that we're seeing here today. Sure. Um, so I lead part of our healthcare team at NVIDIA. NVIDIA has been in healthcare for about 10 years, um, uh, basically enabling the instrument market to bring um, the latest technology to the patients. And it's been really exciting over the last six years when AI came about um, as the number one platform for AI. Uh, we've had an opportunity to work with most of the innovators in this space. So from the researchers um, to the startup world, um, to companies like Nuance um, who are actually helping bring all of this innovation to the clinic. So interestingly, about 70% of researchers doing research on medical imaging today are using AI. Um, about uh, 400 startups are using AI to bring it to healthcare and we're getting a chance to work with all of them. So what, what is it that NVIDIA does uh, to, to sort of facilitate this? What's your sort of secret source? Yeah, so if you looked at deep learning and AI and this whole revolution that happened about um, uh, six to eight years ago, a lot of it happened because of three things coming together. One is the availability of all the digital data. So we're getting a lot more data right now. Think of your phone and all the pictures that you're getting. The other is an innovation on the um, algorithmic side. So there's new applications and programs, although the origins of deep learning are very old. Uh, they're from the 50s, so it's not really very new. I think the third component that came in was GPU computing. Um, so the, basically we worked with top researchers to port some of these algorithms to take advantage of the parallelism within a GPU. So while um, a regular CPU can do a few things in parallel, we can do about 5,000 in parallel. And it turned out that AI loved this, so we were able to shrink training times of, of or creation of algorithms from days to minutes. Um, and that changed um, the game, and that's why we're seeing a lot of uh, new algorithms come by, a lot of new applications come by, a lot of FDA-approved applications come by, instruments are becoming smarter, which is really exciting. 
So, um, in, NVIDIA, I, I would say for, from a household uh, name perspective about video processing and, and gaming predominantly, yeah. right? And I, what it sounds like is that that processing power has now been applied in a way that's unique and um, uh, offers the ability for artificial intelligence to really go after that data in, in a uh, data-intensive way. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. Keep keep those kids gaming. They're they're really challenging. <laughs> Don't tell any parents that. <laughs> they're they're really challenging the computing platform more than anything else. And if you can imagine the creation of this virtual world where you're playing a game and interacting with it, um, that's a really compute-intensive thing. Now, luckily, a lot of AI applications are taking advantage of it, including self-driving cars. So NVIDIA is in, um, self, in the self-driving uh, vertical as well, and we've got about three or 400 partners that utilize our platform. But that is also very challenging. Um, and, and the beauty about what we've done is we've created just one architecture, so everything that happens at NVIDIA is horizontal. So if we learned something from self-driving, it's being applied to healthcare. For example, when you're building AI for um, safety, where safety is a concern, right? If you're gonna put that child that's about to game in a car at 70 miles an hour and, and be comfortable with it, you have to think about safety. Um, so our platform, um, from the chip all the way through the software, consider safety in mind. So for example, every critical function is done twice mm. in two different ways. So if you think about an airplane getting two engines, one of them is jet, the other is a propeller, because if it fails, you want the chip to still operate. Um, you want the whole platform to still operate. So things like this we're actually bringing to healthcare with our AI platform. Um, and you're right, how do we take advantage of all this data that we have to solve um, the problems that are facing um, healthcare and the challenges that we have in terms of shortage of, of physicians providing increased access, trying to keep the cost contained. I think we have an amazing opportunity to take advantage of the data out there today. We're fully, almost fully digital in healthcare, which is an opportunity nobody has had in the past. So I think two challenges come to mind. One is, how do we provide access to this data, both to the physicians, as well as the patients, in fact, as well as the hospital administration, and then how do we get information out of this data? And NVIDIA is thinking about this, so um, we're thinking about it in a couple of ways. One is, what does the future of a hospital data center look like um, in order to be able to take advantage of the data that it has? And we've got a few ideas there um, where you want to be able to enable AI, you want to be able to enable a virtual experience for the physician that makes sense. Also, what does the integration of AI look like? And that's where working with Nuance has really been phenomenal um, along the front of creating an AI marketplace very similar to what you would have on your phone as an app store, bringing AI to the physician, um, as well as the um, ambient clinical intelligence that we just went through here where you're seeing it in the workflow, empowering the physicians. They're really our heroes and we need to give them um, this, the tools to, to that, that fit the mission that they're trying to accomplish. So we've got a, a couple of minutes left. Um, as you think about the future, what's uh, what's what's coming up that's going to change or you know bring significant impact uh, to this whole world of uh, AI and processing? I'm really most most excited about um, the ability to bring all multiple data sources together. 
So I think while in imaging we've made amazing strides, like I said, 70% of research today is able to take advantage of AI, um, helping the physician automate a lot of their workflows, helping us scan patients faster. I think what's really exciting is how do we enable precision medicine? And, and to do that, you need to bring multiple sources of data together, imaging, wearables, genomics, um, and it's not an easy task for a human being to do alone. So you need the right tools, and I think AI is going to help us bring it all together. Okay, so um, I just want to thank you for uh, joining us today. We're uh, live at HIMSS on uh, the Nuance booth, 3345. If you want to see this AI in action, come on by. Come to the uh, Experience Center. Um, it's well worth a visit. Uh, we're live streaming Healthcare Now Radio, Health Innovation Media from HIMSS 2019. And for tomorrow, uh, we'll be again live streaming from 1 to 3. Uh, we'll be hosting a series of folks, including uh, Dr. Razu Shrestha, Anish Chopra, John Madison, um, and uh, Michael Clark and Brenda Hodge from uh, Nuance talking about the innovation, talking about what's going on at the show. Uh, from our perspective, it's been an exciting two hours. We've had a great time. So join us again tomorrow. This is Dr. Nick. I'm the incrementalist. Don't let perfection stand in the way of progress.